All right. Our text this morning is the letter to the church in Laodicea. The church in Laodicea is one that receives the, the harshest condemnation from God. This one is tough. This is a, a fastball coming in high and tight right across the chin of the church in Laodicea. They hear some difficult things from the Lord, and you're, you're wondering, what were they doing wrong? What was the, the horrible thing? Well, Dan told us earlier, it's nothing more than just simple apathy. Because this is the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus, would you please stand? Jesus said, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, And I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, This letter to the church in Laodicea is very hard for the people to hear. And it opens up all sorts of wonderful, bad ideas for a pastor to preach a sermon. (laughs) It gives the opportunity to say difficult things to their church, to to say to the people of, of their congregation, to the people of living faith, you're neither hot nor cold. Except it doesn't necessarily fit us. And honestly, I don't think that it is a helpful thing to do. It's not helpful necessarily to, to try and shake up a congregation j- just to get them excited again and moving again and all that. I, I don't know that that's always a helpful thing. And you may be looking at me, some of you who've been here a long time going, but Luke, isn't that what you have done countless times here at Living Faith? And even this morning, shaking things up a little bit, announcing going to one service and telling you all you're going to have to snuggle up and get comfortable around new and different people. In a way, Yes. But the sin of apathy that has, that has ground into this church in Laodicea is different from the apathy that, that we might have on any given Sunday morning when, you know, I'm just tired. And I just had a long weekend. I just drove back from Kansas City at a, from a wedding. I was up late and all of those things. And I'm just, just today versus, versus a congregation and a people who are living a life of apathy, of spiritual apathy to their Lord. And so when the Lord speaks, 
He wants to make sure you know who is talking to, him, to you. He wants the church in Laodicea to know, this is who I am right now to you. My relationship with you right now is the one true witness. The witness. Now, this is an interesting idea, because if you talk to anybody in a law enforcement or, or judicial system, they'll tell you that witnesses are notoriously unreliable, that you can have five witnesses of the same car crash and, and all get different uh, accounts of, of everything that happened and not have any clue what really went on because eyewitnesses are unreliable. Unless the eyewitness is God. And in our text this morning, he points it out. He says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is letting them know, I am the true witness. I am the one. And when he says amen, that word amen is an interesting word. When we say that at the end of the prayer, what we're doing is affirming everything that went beforehand. So th this is what's nice if, if you're kind of like drifting off a little bit during Dan's prayers. When he says amen, just go amen. And that means everything that he said, I also agree. And that is also my prayer. So Jesus is the ultimate affirmation, the ultimate this is true. So he's saying to the people, what I'm about to say is, is perfectly and ultimately accurate, 100% without missing or adding anything to it, which implies that there will be some who go, wait, 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 wait. That's not how it happened. At the end of their life, there will be some who will say, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I know you, Jesus. Except Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, 21, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God. So what is the difference between those who inherit the kingdom of God and, and don't inherit the kingdom of God? It's not that they say, Lord, Lord, there is something else. There is something that is missing. What is missing is the faith that saves. Now, when Jesus talks about it in our text, he says, I know your works. They're neither cold nor hot. I know your work. It's not the work. The, the work that people do that, that are good things to do, the, the good and righteous things that people do, those are, are similar no matter what faith or religion that you have. There are, are Muslims and, and Hindus and Buddhists and, and secular atheists who will go and, and feed hungry people, serve the poor, and, and do all of this. So it's not the good that is done. It is the faith, the faith that is attached to those things, the faith given to us by God that connects us to him. When he says, I know your works, what he is saying is, I know the faith that is behind those works. And for the church in Laodicea, they have a real problem. Because they may on that last day, like many people on that last day, say, Lord, Lord, we know you. But the Father says, but I don't know you. Their sin, their issue is apathy. And in the text this morning, I call it the silent killer. Apathy is dangerous in all relationships. 
I do, um, I, I am not a marriage and, and therapist or counselor whatsoever, but I've, I've been through enough of my own counseling. I've been through enough courses that I, I am comfortable doing some triage. And then I say, now you should see somebody who's a professional. <laughs> And I can tell you so many different stories of sitting down with a, a couple, and I can tell you that when they are angry with each other, when they are mad at each other, when they're at the point of hatred to each other, I say, there is hope for this marriage. If they sit down, and one or both of them are essentially of the opinion, whatever, take it or leave it, if things get better, that's great. If they don't, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm just, just apathetic. So, oof. This one might not go. Apathy. You see, the opposite of, of hate is not love. These are not polar opposites. The opposite of love is apathy. When you no longer care enough to be angry, when you no longer care enough about a person to be angered by their words or their actions. I'm trying to figure out a, a, a kind of a nice way to illustrate this. The best I can come is if you know, on our YouTube website, a, a person I don't know who, let's say, lives in Germany, says that Pastor Luke is an idiot, doesn't know what he's talking about, just says nasty things about our church. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. If it's somebody I know or, or one of our members, well, now I care. Now, I might get a little bit angry. I might be wounded. I might be hurt. And it's because I know them and I love them. See, that's, that's why apathy is dangerous. Once you don't care enough to be angry about what somebody does or says, you don't care enough to love them at all. This is the danger of, that the church in Laodicea is at. This is their apathy. They, they do the stuff they're supposed to do. They gather on their Sunday mornings and they, they say what they're supposed to say. They sing the songs they're supposed to sing. They, they, they have worship and they do those things that they're supposed to do. But it's, it's not out of this burning desire that is love for the kingdom of God or even out of fear of the Lord. And the Lord doesn't say that it would be good for them to be cold in their works or that it would be good for them to, to do those things out of fear, to feed hungry people and serve the, the poor out of fear. He doesn't say that would be good, but it's better than apathy. It's better than, than not having any any real strong emotional tie to the, the kingdom of God, the spiritual tie to the kingdom of God, that would at least be better because that the Lord can work with. But the people in Laodicea have this problem of feeling like everything is just fine. In verse 17, which I, I don't have on the screen, I'll just read it for you. In verse 17 the Lord says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They don't even know. They don't see it coming. 
that this is a real problem that, that they have. And the Lord is trying to make them really uncomfortable by saying, I will spit you out of my mouth, which I also love this imagery because honestly, that's what you do when, you, when you've got something that's weirdly the wrong temperature. You know, can you imagine taking a big bite of ice cream and it being hot or like just warm? You're like, bleh, right? The, the best example there is probably coffee, right? Iced coffee, good. Hot coffee, good. Room temperature coffee, not good, right? No bueno. Nobody likes that at all. And what you do is it, it repulses you. It causes a, a revulsion, and it is spit out. The Lord is pressing the church in Laodicea to say, that is who you are to me when you say my name and you don't care. When you worship and you have no spiritual connection to the kingdom of God. When you just gather because it's the thing that you do, because it's a part of the life that you have just because you're supposed to. And, and you don't need this church, you don't need this faith, and you don't need the kingdom of God. Why? I've got a great job, I'm making good money. Things are going well in my life. Everything is good. I, I was baptized, and, and I, I know who Jesus is. I know the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Everything is fine. Everything is not fine. <laughs> Things are not okay in this world. And I don't mean that because inflation is high and job market and supply chain. That all of that is also not fine. Don't get me wrong. But what's not fine about this world is that there are people living and dying without knowing who Jesus is. There are people who are, are living and dying who are the people of Laodicea saying, well, I was born in small town Iowa. I was baptized in this little country church. And now here I am in, in West Des Moines, in Clive, in Waukee, and and where's your church home? Well, it's back in that small town. I'm sure my name is still on that list somewhere. Well, what is your spiritual discipline? What do you, well, you know, I, when things are tough, sometimes I'll say a quick prayer. Okay. Are you a person of the church of Laodicea? And the scariest thing, in my opinion, is I don't know. I'm not saying they are or they aren't. I'm not saying they're saved or they're not saved. And I just described, by the way, the, the vast majority of the population of people who live in a five-mile radius to us. We don't call them unchurched. We call them dechurched. They're disconnected because they were born and raised probably in a church and have just drifted from it. That's scary to me that I don't know. And frankly, neither do they. This is, this is worse. <laughs> this is the problem. We, we don't get comfortable saying, well, I know they all have a church background. I know they've all been baptized. The vast majority of these people know. It is not okay that there is any sort of question because some of these people, when you talk with them, and I have talked with many of them, will start to say things where they put their trust and their faith in something that is Jesus plus or, or Jesus minus, meaning Jesus plus this Eastern religious other stuff that I do. Or Jesus minus the part where he was true God, because that's weird. Come on. Like, he was a really good teacher, but I don't believe he was really true God. Or, or Jesus minus the part where he did the miracles, because 
I, I just think, you know, if you do these good things and you lead a good life, then at the end, God will welcome you into his kingdom. That's terrifying. And, and you can't comfort somebody who is comfortable. You can't bring peace to someone's heart who is resting in full peace. They have to be shook. That's what the Lord is doing to the church in Laodicea, is he is shaking this church, saying, you, if you are cold, uh, or not cold, not hot, if you are comfortable, if you don't think that there is any problem with sin or, or evil or death that requires a, a Savior to come and rescue you, you have a problem. And on that last day, you may hear, I don't know you. It is meant to terrify. It is meant to put us back on our heels and say, wait, wait, no. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to get to the end and worry and be nervous. I don't want to be there before my Lord and, and not be certain. So this is why I didn't want to do this to you. Because right now, some of you are going, is it me? <laughs> is it me? Do I, do, do I love him enough? Am I hot enough? I know I'm not cold. I don't hate the Lord. If, if you have any of those feelings in your heart, let me tell you right now, it's not you. Because you wouldn't have that little flutter in your heart if you didn't believe. You wouldn't have that little flutter in your heart if you didn't care. If this was a, a sermon, but I switched out the, the name Jesus with Buddha, you'd be like, I don't care if Buddha doesn't like me. I don't believe in that guy. <laughs> Who cares? If you had that flutter right there, you're okay. Do you want your work to be more hot? Okay. That's something we can work on. Do you want to be more passionate? Okay, we can work on that. There are opportunities at living faith to, to do exactly that. We're going to have more opportunity. If you say, I want to know the Lord better, part of the reason, going to one service, Bible study afterwards, devotional stuff afterwards, good. There's Bible study Wednesday night. There's service opportunities with the service team. There's all kinds of opportunities to do just that. It's those who, who sit and say, Whatever. As Pastor Luke doesn't know what he's talking about. My friend, my neighbor, goes to that church, and, you know, I, they're nice people. I, that, that's fine for them, but it's just not, not me. I'm a good person. I try and do good things. I, I give to this charity and this organization. I volunteer a couple of times a year. That's the person who needs tough love. The tough love that Jesus dishes out we see here, of course, it's in a verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Oops. I'm sorry. I got the wrong one there. The tough love is uh, verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The people who are in danger of this are those people that you know in your life where everything is 
It's fine. Things aren't all that difficult for them. They haven't faced a lot of tough things. They haven't seen a lot of hardship in their lives. They're, they're doing okay. Maybe they're not rich, but they're certainly not poor. They, they have what they have, and they love what they do, and, and everything is going well. And this, I will tell you, is the most tragic of those cases. When I'm sitting and, and talking with and working with a, a couple who comes in, and one of them is sitting there just saying, I had no idea anything was wrong. I thought everything was fine. I mean, no, we were not like passionate and, and in love deeply like we were when we first got married, but we don't really argue and, and yell at each other and throw dishes at each other. You know, things were just fine. And I said, well, that's the dangerous part is, is when you start to accept apathy as a, a natural state. When you start to accept apathy as, you know, this is what normal feels like. Everything is, is just fine. When you embrace that, you're embracing a lie. Jesus says it in our text. You say, I'm rich, I'm prospered, I, feel, I'm, I need nothing. Really, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Because everything isn't fine. Just because you physically and emotionally are comfortable doesn't mean that spiritually you are connected to the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean that the creator of the universe knows you and has, has for you written your name in the book of eternal life. Because the one thing that we don't have, <laughs> for sure I can tell you, is a God who is apathetic. We have a God who is anything but apathetic. If you read the scriptures, you will find, you will never find everything is okay and everything is fine. You will find a God who is passionately loving to his children or angry with them and full of rage because of their idolatry and their sin. He never looks at humanity and just goes, you know, whatever, I don't care. Do whatever you do. Live however you live. That is not our God. And, and you find this in the incarnation, in the death of Jesus. He cared enough to, to become man, to allow himself to be scorned, ridiculed, beaten, and killed. An apathetic person doesn't do that. An apathetic person lays around, sits on the couch, watches TV, enjoys life. An apathetic person in, in the face of real challenges at work goes, you know what, this company is just a paycheck for me and just gets a different job. If you care about it, you do something about it. If you, if you care about an organization that you work for, then yes, you will stand up and say, no, this is wrong to the leadership. I will do something. You will take a risk. You might get fired if you do that. And the Lord was willing to say, no, this is wrong. This isn't okay. And I'm going to do something about it. The risk wasn't even a risk. It was a certainty that he would suffer and die. That's his tough love message for you is that's that's how hot he is for humanity 
That's how much in love he is with you, that he won't let you just drift away and say, everything is okay, and then not see it coming at the end of time when you say, Lord, Lord. No, he's going to put you in places like he's done right now to hear the words I'm saying to you, it's not okay. The sin in your life isn't okay. The flaws in your life aren't okay. When you break the will of God, when you walk away from his word, these things are not okay. That's why God dealt with them. That's why God did what he did, to forgive them, to pardon them. They weren't okay. One of my favorite things to do in in a wedding, and I do it every single wedding at this point, the the couple facing each other, I say, we're going to practice this because we've lost practice in our church. And I I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) I make you go through it and say, I'm stupid, I messed up, that wasn't good, I'm bad, I'm dumb, so whatever it is, and then you say, please forgive me. Not just I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then the other person, their response is, I forgive you. Why? For some reason, it's, it's come into our, our language, our vocabulary, the, the zeitgeist. When somebody apologizes, we say, it's okay. It's not. <laughs> it's literally not okay. The thing you did is not okay. So me telling you that's okay is just lying to you. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't want to lie to my spouse. I'm not going to lie to the people of God. The thing you did isn't okay, but it is forgiven. Or people say, don't worry about it. No, they are worrying about it. That's why they're apologizing to you, because they know it's not okay. So we don't just brush sin under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist and and say, well, God is going to deal with all of that. No, we come before him on Sunday mornings, and we confess. We say, here's all the stuff that wasn't okay that I definitely did. (laughs) Here's all of the things that are wrong. And it's not as though God doesn't already know them, but we want to hear him say, I forgive those. I'm not ignoring them. I'm dealing with them through the blood of my son, Christ Jesus, who died for you. And then the tough love is to make people recognize that sin, not to, not, not to guilt them, not to make them feel terrible, but to let them know it's been dealt with. We all, I do this with my kids. I know you do this with your kids, with your family members, when you just absolutely ruin their day by telling them they can't have ice cream for breakfast or something, right? When you ruin their lives when they're 15 and you tell them they can't get a tattoo yet, you wait till you're 16, right? You, all of those, like you, you ruin their lives, but what are you actually doing? You are doing something loving for them. You are correcting them as they're heading down a path of disaster. You're trying to say, no, turn away, and it's because you love them. If you don't know them, who cares? Get a tattoo, have fun. Who cares? Do this, do drugs, do all that. If I don't care, then I don't care. But because we love our kids, because we even love the strangers, because Christ first loved us, because we love people who are angry with us, because we love people who don't even like us, we are willing to love them in a way that is tough, not just for us, but for them too. 
It is uncomfortable to, to wrestle with ourselves and say, I am flawed, I am broken, I do make these mistakes over and over again. As, as Dan said this morning, everybody breaks every commandment every single day. It is, it is not to drive guilt home to you. It is not to put the weight and the burden on you of your sin, but to show you how much sin has been dealt with, how much brokenness has been been dealt with, how much the Lord loves you, that he won't let even the smallest sin go and say, it's okay, or don't worry about it. He'll take every single one, no matter how, how in, introverted you are and, and, and how introspective you are, and you search, and you say, oh, but I, I also do this thing that's annoying, and that's probably sinful, and, and this is sinful. God will deal with every single one of those in the same exact way. You're forgiven, not holding it against you, not keeping tally or score, but rather on that last day, when you say, Lord, Lord, he will say, yes, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not that you stopped sinning, not that you got better, not that you are good, not that everything was fine, but even if you were tormented, and, and afraid and, and broken, even if you, were, if you were an addict who could not stop, but you hated it so much, even if you continued in the sin, even you, you wanted so bad for the Lord to take this from you, but you continued and you broke and you over and over and over failed and you felt as if you weren't worthy or loved, those are the ones Jesus says, yes. Well done. You recognize that sin and that it was dealt with on the cross. Come to live with me in eternity, my good and faithful servant. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the gift of the passion that you have granted to me, to Dan, to the leadership in this church, and to all of the people who are gathered here. For all of these who love you passionately, I give you thanks. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would weed out every last bit of apathy you may find in our hearts to know that the world around us isn't fine, even when things are going well. We seek and chase after you and your kingdom, knowing that sin is alive and abounds, but your grace and love and forgiveness abounds all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.